Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca S. Evan Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Thursday, August 15th, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 4, the Agnostics, on page 47. We will be reading and commenting on the fourth paragraph, which begins with, besides a seeming inability to accept, and ends on page 48 with, as some of us were. Today's readers are Nancy T., Carol R., Leon B., Becca R., and Kate H. I'm being told that my quality isn't good, so I'm going to move to another room and see if it gets better. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Wednesday, August 8, 2019, are 13,273. That's 13273 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting and 13,279 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. That's 13279. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the OA 12 Steps. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. Nancy T., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Lewiston, Idaho this morning. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy T. I will now ask Carol R. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, Carol R., Recovering Compulsive Reader in Virginia. These are the 12 Traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Ovaries Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Ovaries Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I'll pass. Thanks, Carol R. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then somebody's unmuted. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in chapter four. I, I hope that's Leon B. that's unmuted. If not, uh, please mute your phone. We agnostics uh, on page 47. We will be reading and commenting on the fourth paragraph, which begins with, besides a seeming inability to accept, and ends on page 48 with, as some of us were. 
I will now ask Leon B. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning. Um, that was me um, unmuted. Good morning. This is Leon B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling in from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. I I look at this um, very last part. Um, We talked about alcohol being this great persuader, you know, faced with the destruction from all of my eating and how I was beaten into a state of reasonableness, you know, reasonableness being good sense or um, good thinking. Um, And for me, it was a tedious process. Um, And I do look back over all the years that I spent um, trying to figure out why I was eating the way that I was eating, trying to control my weight, and I knew about OA for for 13 years, and and I was trying to look up that same uh, contempt prior to investigation. Um, I didn't have any prejudice about you know spiritual matters, spiritual things, um, but I I did have somewhat of of a prejudice against this program because I didn't know anything about it. I had no experience with the steps. I had been in the rooms and I knew about tools, but I had no experience with the steps. And and that sort of kept me from getting the the answers that I needed um to, to this problem. So for thirteen years I tried diets and I went up and down and the food was just I mean, the weight and the food was just I mean, it was really beating me down until I came back this last time, and I was like, man, I've tried everything. I might as well give these steps a try. And that was me being beaten to a state of of reasonableness. Um, and I do hope that, you know, no one will have to go through what I went through. But if it if it takes that, if it takes another bite, if it takes another pound to, to get you to that point, then, you know, then I, I pray that that's what you get, um, or that's what comes towards you um, while you try to do it on your own. But I'm telling you, for for me, this being beaten, I mean, this, you know, this old John Bollycorn say it will lash you into submission, and Oreos and everything else did that for me. Um, I heard a, a, a guy just call me out of the blue and said he was, I mean, he sounded like he was beaten, beaten down. He, he wanted some help desperately. And, and he was, he was, he had stayed away from his bench foods for like five days. And, and I have no opening, but I can hear it in his voice, the desperation of him wanting help. 
And I and I'm like, who am I to turn this guy away? I said, sure, call me. And this is what I want you to do. And he sure enough called me the next day. That's being beaten to a state of reasonableness where you're willing to do anything. I pass with that. I thank you for this program. I thank you for this um, reading for tomorrow, this morning. Oh, thank you, Leon B., for getting us started in your reading and your share. If you haven't shared on this meeting in the past couple of days and would like to share on the fourth paragraph on page 47 in the big book, please press star 1 to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Katie B. from Boston. And Janice P. Janice P. Okay, I know I heard. Okay, <laughs> hold, hold <Okay>. on, because <laughs> there were a, like a whole bunch of people, and who I have is Katie G and Reva P, the first and the last. Was that were there two Janices? Janice P M. Oh. Okay, I heard Janice P M, and was there another Janice? No. Harlan okay. G. Okay, I heard Harlan G. Harlan G. Okay. Somebody R and somebody T. Nessa R. Nessa R. And who was the T? Kathy C. Oh, okay. I'll I'll take your word for it, Kathy C. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, anybody who's who said their name and I didn't get it, Katie, Reva, Janice, Harlan, Nessa, and Kathy, was there someone else who's already said their name? Melissa C. Melissa C. Anybody else who had already said their name? Okay. We've got our lineup to get us started after Leon. Katie G., please go ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. This is Katie G., Recovered in Boston. Such a beautiful paragraph. So it's telling me I'm handicapped, which is a disadvantage that makes an achievement unusually difficult. So it's my block. And what am I blocked by? This is not about step two, having a conversation with God. I'm blocked. I'm a cactus. I am sensitive. I am delicate. I am thorny. I have unreasoning thinking. I bristle with antagonism, which is opposition and animosity. That's me to the core. This is not... Um, this is food is not my problem. Food has been the solution. And what I love that this paragraph reminds me of, this is not about going out and creating for me a conception of God. This is about, Katie, how much pain are you in? And when I was in so much pain, shaking three and almost four years ago, shaking with the lying around anorexia and bulimia, the lying around exercise addiction, the lying, I was so beaten. I was so beaten by my mind that all I could do is call someone and say, help me. Tell me what to do. And I didn't have the privilege of bristling with antagonism. I didn't have the privilege of being touchy. I didn't have the privilege of saying, hey, sponsor, you know, I know you want to call me at 5.30 a.m., but i got to go to the gym. So could we do um, 6.30? That's better for my schedule. No, I, I literally would stop work, stop the time clock, and call my sponsor when she said she was available because – because I was so destroyed. And the reason I love this is that it's really telling me, again, Katie, this is not about 
Um, this is not about creation here. This is about uncovering, discovering, and discarding everything that's not you. And how do I get there? Powerlessness. Powerlessness, that's it. And I wish I could hand you your powerlessness. But the thing is, I don't have to, because if you're not there yet, that's okay. This this room is for you, too. What, what I found is that there's one thing that's going to convince me, and that one thing is the food, the anorexia, the bulimia, the insanity. And then it reminds me, I have to cast off my prejudices, my old ideas. So where am I agnostic today as a recovered woman? Where am I using my old ideas and saying, you know what, God, I, you got the food, you got this, you got that, but you know what, God, I'm bristling. I'm bristling with antagonism. Sponsor said to do that, and I'm like, mm, maybe not, right? Well, it is easy to let up on this spiritual program of action and rest on my laurels. Please, God, help me not do that so that I don't have to be so badly mangled to accept spiritual help. And that is, that's it. You're destroyed. You got it. There's a power greater than you. That's it. With that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. And I find it interesting that after all these years, I actually want to share about a paragraph that talks about how much pain I have to be in before I'm willing to do what I need to do to get well. Um, So this paragraph reminds me, where is my biggest restriction? Where is my biggest handicap? It's not in the food. It's in my old ideas and my prejudices and everything I think I know and everything I'm so sure about, even after I come into program, when I think I know what I need to do, um, I'm in trouble. When I start rolling up my sleeves and say, now today I'm going to do this, this, and this, because today is the day I'm going to make recovery happen, I'm in big trouble. And it's telling me that I have to abandon my old thinking. And when I think of a house that's been abandoned, like the people leave completely. I don't go back. I don't go back. Um, And I have to abandon my old ideas about how I think I'm supposed to work this program and how I'm supposed to do this. And the thing that touches me the most is being beaten into a state of reasonableness, which reminds me that, yeah, I have to reach a really painful, painful bottom. And I am so grateful, as other people have shared, that my bottom was so miserable and so awful. Because as it says in the AA 12 and 12, why? Why does every um, AA or OA have to hit bottom? And the answer is few people will sincerely try to practice this program unless they've hit bottom because Doing the rest of the steps is something I don't really want to do. And it says, who wants to be rigorously honest? Who wants to confess his faults? Who cares anything about a higher power? I don't, but why do I do it? I do it because I have to do these things in order to stay alive myself. Um, So yeah, pain is the touchstone. And it was like that with the food, and it's like that with everything. When my defects become so painful and so objectionable and I so don't want to be the person that I see that I am when I'm indulging in them, I become willing to abandon and let them go. And one thing that other people have taught me, I'll just end with this, is, you know, as low as I go, and I've certainly had my share of pain um, this past year, 
but God matches the bottom and brings me up just as much as I go down. Like there is no bottom too low for God. He just brings us as far up as I need to go to match the bottom. And it's just such a huge um, miracle that that gets to happen as a result of putting down the food and working the steps. With that, I pass. Thanks, Reva P. Janice P.M. I'm now unmuted. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca and everyone online. Um, my name is Janice P.M., and I'm a grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Okay, why? Why did I resist? Why did I recoil <laughs> from what other people told me and what I was thinking? The hardest thing for me especially for a personal personal deity to me. You know, I had a, a personal God in my life, but, you know, it is, I didn't depend on him. It was still me, myself, and I that I depended upon and other things in my life. I didn't resist about depending on my husband or depending upon you or depending totally on a sponsor, um, you know, but to have it personal, real personal to me, I resisted, I recoiled, and um, I don't know why, but I did. You know, I was always trying to seek the results that I wanted. And, you know, the hardest thing, the very hardest thing, I had this from a very youthful age, is to open my mind to a closed mind. That's difficult. And, you know, and I couldn't do it. But as soon as I asked, I don't even know who I asked, I mean, you know, who it was in the universe, that please give me the willingness to be willing. Even when I became willing, I still some days weren't willing. And so it's the, you know, it's always the willingness before I believe. Okay, it's a process. It comes, it comes. I was so handicapped. Um, I found myself so handicapped and stubborn, obstinate and sensitive. Oh, don't tell me this because, oh, what he said, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. And, and increasing prejudice. And I had to get through that wall by just being willing and trying to believe others in this program, especially in this group, that they were transformed. Well, how did they transform? They didn't have money. They did maybe weren't married. Maybe they were divorced, but they still divorced. Somebody died in their family, and they still was able to put down that food. I guess I wasn't in enough pain. And as we know, that pain is the greatest uh, um, persuader. And I had to be exhausted of all kinds of methods and trials and tribulations. I had to be exhausted. And that was the whole in my soul. And um, through these steps, uh, through the steps, I found, you know, peace and sanity. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Janice P.M. Harlan G. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. For many, many years of my life, like I think all of us did, I suffered from this disease. This disease took me out, 
and it did with me what it wanted to do with me, and it directed my life. It had me in its grip from the time I was an infant, and from the, by the time I was four or five years old, I have very vivid memories of people screaming at my mother and father about how fat I was getting, how much food I was eating. Food and weight became the topic du jour every day of the year. And I had a lot of pain in my life, as we all do. And like we all did, I looked at God with tears in my eyes and said, why not this or why that? And so we developed, I think I developed, I, don't, I can't say we, I developed a very antagonistic relationship with God. Because if God was so wonderful, how come I was so fat? If God was so wonderful, how come I was in so much pain? And I don't think I'm alone there. And so I blamed him for things. And then one day, one day, I suffered enough humiliation. I suffered enough pain. It says, faced with alcoholic destruction, I was being destroyed by this disease. I could no longer sit. I could no longer stand. I could no longer function. I was emasculated by this disease. I was degraded by this disease. This disease was not just killing me. This disease was amputating me from everything wonderful in life. And for me, bottom came when the pain of eating outweighed the fear of putting the food down. And the pain of eating had to outweigh the fear of putting the food down before anything could really take place. And in my case, I had to come in and I had to wait for faith and it didn't come. And then one day I came in and I started taking action after action after action, which I saw working in other people and I really didn't even believe in it myself yet. And the faith came. So I had to stop waiting for the faith to take the action. And I had to start taking the action and the faith came. And my faith today is strong. And my faith today is a beautiful thing. And it is the most beautiful thing in my life because for me, the most important thing in my life is listed on page 14 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous where it says at the very bottom of the page and top of 15, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. I need to work at this every day more and more than I did the day before because it will beat me into a state of, un of reasonableness, and the food and the pain are the only teachers for me. Experience, food, pain, all these things, they beat me down, and God lifts me up. The steps lift me up. Working the steps is the only remedy I have for this disease. And it says in another part of the book, we have an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Never had a spiritual experience, but I'm having, present tense, a spiritual awakening, and that must be worked at constantly, and then the faith comes. With that, I will pass. Thanks, Rebecca, for your service. Thanks, Harlan. Nessa R., 
Hi, good morning, Vision for you. This is Nessa R. Um, recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, the theme of this chapter, the whole entire chapter, is um, to get rid of whatever prejudice we might have. Um, and this is why this um, the the line that spoke to me was um, open-minded to spiritual matters, and specifically the fact that God can and will remove our obsession if only we get out of the, wor- the way. Um, you know, um, all of us have prejudice, even, even those of us who come in already believing um, in God. We even have prejudice there. Those who don't believe in God or say, you know, I can't believe in a higher power, you know, all of us believe in a higher power. For some of us, I think for most of us or even all of us, who come into the room, that higher power is the food. Um, there's other higher powers, right? Like being beautiful, uh, being thin, being um, powerful, having money, like all those things become higher powers. So if we already believe in a higher power, we can make the leap to believe in a spiritual higher power. And for those who do believe in a spiritual higher power, uh, but don't believe that, you know, our problems are important enough. There are studies that is a petty issue that God, you know, can't or won't give attention to because he's got more important things to do. Like, who are we to limit God? You know, like, God has no limitations. He can attend to all matters, um, big and small, um, at the same time. But um, the thing I really wanted to say is uh, with the issue of, of hitting bottom, you know, I believe that bottom is where we stop digging. Um, you know, and we look at the stories of Jim and Fred in Chapter 3. They're basically the same story, you know, successful men who have everything going for them and yet they, they're alcoholic even though they have no reason to drink, yet they drink. Um, and so what is the difference? The difference is that um, Jim's bottom was a lot lower than Fred's bottom. And, you know, it's, it looks from the stories that Fred had the hardest time with the two than, than Jim seemed to have. Uh, and yet he seemed to raise his bottom. Uh, and in that, of course, alcohol and for us food um, is a great persuader. But I think also, you know, Fred just stopped digging. Um, there are some of us, though, who, who do still need to do a lot more eating and a lot more suffering before we are even willing to be willing to believe. But you know what? If we have tried, and this is my case, um, I didn't have hundreds of pounds to lose. I had, you know, 70 pounds to lose, but my life is miserable. And I had had enough. I didn't want to wait till I, I was weighing, you know, 250, 300 pounds. Uh, I tried already everything that my mind could think of. And, you know, my best thinking got me to, to a state of life that was just, just unbearable to me. Um, so I have to be open-minded. We have to get rid of all prejudice, whatever it may be, um, in order to recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Kathy C. Hi, this is Kathy C. I am a compulsive overeater from Montreal, Canada. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the sentence, it finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. And, and here is where, um, you know, when I believe my higher power, uh, when I had some, some sense 
to go and seek help that I can't do it anymore. And I, and I came to OA. Um, but then the reasonableness left me because here there was a, a spiritual approach, which I was not accepting. Um, what was I not accepting? Well, I did the steps, but in my heart, in my core, in my bottom, at the bottom of my heart, I did not want to be a compulsive overeater. Why? Because I wasn't as big as everybody was. I didn't have to lose 100, you know, 70, 50, 20. I just needed like 10, you know, 10 pounds. That's all I needed. I was losing those same 5 to 10 pounds month after month, month after month. Um, and again, I, I, I thought I was getting better. I thought that, you know, I just had to try a little bit harder. Okay, God is there, great. But I was never, never fully, fully, you know, present with that power um, because I thought I was the power. Still, I wanted to do this my way. And this is part or this is our problem, right? That, that, that selfishness, that self-centeredness, thinking that, I can do this. I need to do this. Um, and until I was faced with the same, you know, the same, like, oh, just sad, you know, unpleasant, um, just depressed and, and upset at myself for doing this again over and over again, I, I, could, I couldn't, you know, I, I, then I was able to be open to something else. Finally, finally, I had to be like, you know, like, you know down and, 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 and you know just like it says this or just like it says it here you know that destruction I felt I felt destroyed my soul was broken and I had to concede that yeah I can't do this I don't have the ability I don't have that power I've tried and that again that reasonableness that was my higher power and 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 thank you for that you know and I thank my higher power he knows the truth he makes me, he brings me to the truth, whether I choose to turn around or, you know, uh, build with him, that's on me. But my higher power, that, 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 that spiritual way of being has never left me. Uh, and that's where the problem is. I choose not to go to it. Um, but my higher power will be there, always, never left me. It's about me letting go of me, thinking that I know better, thinking that I have the power, that I can do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, it really was a great persuader that I, I, I can't. And finally, I feel safe and protected. God's will is my will. Um, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy C. in Montreal. Melissa C., you're next, and then I'll take some more names. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your service. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um you know, I think like my handicap, you know, and, and my obstinance um, and being extremely sensitive, you know, I was beyond touchy, you know, um, but I would, um, and I was bristly, but I had really good manners. So I would look at people um, and in my head was all my bristly and cutting little comments, how this God thing is a scam. You know, that's really what I thought. Um and 10 years ago, um, when it came to away yet again, you know, again and again, um, I, was a, I was a 40-year-old woman, you know, who had practiced years of eating compulsively. And, um, and 
and I was um, really in tremendous pain. I had, um, I was grieving the death of an infant son. I had two beautiful children, um, but I was really grieving hard, and I couldn't get over it. And and I kept pointing at that as evidence that there is no God. There is no God. How could there be a God? How could I possibly ask God for help me with my food? But I'm I'm a grieving mother, like, you know, and I had lost my best friend. My best friend died of cancer. I had to lost my father. You know, I could list all these things as evidence that there is no God. And and yet I could not list those things as the cause of my compulsive overeating because I had been a compulsive overeater all my life as, as an infant. I just always used compulsive overeating um, as my God, as what I needed to solve my problems. And, you know, I, you know, when it says, like, we hope other people don't, aren't as prejudiced as long as us, um, God, I hope other people hit their bottom hard, you know, because this process, it's tedious. It was. It was a tedious process. It was long. It was slow. It was dull. It was monotonous. Um, that's what living with the food was. Two incredible things happened for me that persuaded me. One, the food stopped working. I couldn't get numb. Nothing worked. And the second and really most incredible thing um, was I heard all of you who had recovered. You know, I heard others had something I wanted. They were living free from the food. And I was persuaded because you were persuaded. Like, I did. I heard other people who had, you know, just as tragic lives or just as much weight to lose or more weight to lose, and you weren't living in misery anymore. And I had no other God left but the one you spoke of. Thank you so much. Um, With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa C. Um, If you haven't shared in the past couple of days and want to share on the fourth paragraph on page 47, which begins with, besides a seeming inability to accept, please let me know. Melissa G. in Connecticut. I need a B. Somebody... Somebody in Connecticut. Linda M. For Charles H. Okay, I heard Linda M. Are you the one who was in Connecticut? Chris G. in Connecticut. Linda M. From Connecticut. (laughs) No, I'm so sorry. (laughs) All I have is Linda M. and Chris G. And I think I heard Charles. Charles H. I heard Charles H. Anita B. Jennifer W. Anita B. and Jennifer W. If we have time, and I think that's all I've got, Jennifer W. I'm a slow writer. Okay, here's who I wrote, and I'm sorry if you said your name and you got overlooked. Linda M., Chris G., Charles H., Donna G., Anita B., and Jennifer W., if we have time. Go right ahead, Linda M. Good morning, everyone. Linda M. from Virginia. I've never uh, shared on this line, but I've attended this meeting many, many uh, times over the years. Thanks, you all, for being here, and God bless this program. When I first came into this program, I was told by um, a sponsor in another program, it's not a diet club. And, you know, I never had, uh, I was an exercise bulimic, 
and a bulimic for many years with food. And I, and I was an opera singer for many years. So I had almost had permission to, you know, carry as much weight as I wanted. There was really no bias and such. But inside, I was dying, miserable, hurting, suffering, couldn't figure it out, couldn't strong arm, you know, the, um, the lightness of body I needed to have the lightness of spirit that was inside. And that spiritual solution, um, as a classical musician, I had music to, I could, I could borrow everyone else's God, and I, I, I kind of had a good idea of, of the God, but it, I, as an alcoholic and um, a food uh, addict, could not handle it and find it on my own. I needed this program to, you know, constantly tell me that spirituality is the answer. It's still the answer. Um, I've kind of shifted my uh, serenity prayer over the years that uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things that only God can change. Because something inside me tells me I can change whatever I want. I tell, something inside me tells me I have this incredible power within me, but there I am um, eating till midnight, falling to sleep with food in my mouth, uh, ridiculous, um, really just going into a coma with food um, over, over the course of any day. Um, and someone mentioned, uh, I think earlier in the, in this morning, bristling with antagonism. Something in me wants to fight everybody and everything. And, and the way to numb it out is through food, drugs, alcohol, exercise, uh, music. But the bottom line is that, um, the answer, um, is, in the program, as the program tells me, is within. And so um, I've had a little bit of time this summer to, not much, <laughs> but to um, pay more attention to my program. And, and when I wake up in the morning, I, I wake up with a list of things I need to do and things that are left over from every day, yesterday. And, and I continue to write these um, things down, but I don't have to follow them to the T. I can follow um, the day as my uh, Holy Spirit um, uh, leads me and, and unfolds for me. I have that luxury. Uh, that being said, yesterday I had to do some automated phone calls. And um, some people say it's in your driving behavior that you see your character defects. Well, it's in my avatar, uh, talking to avatars. I yell at these things, and that's my project for the day. I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Linda M. Chris G. Thank you, everyone, for your service. This is Chris G. in Connecticut. Um, so I just wanted to talk about the open mind. Again, um, I used to take great pride in my open mind. So open. Love open-minded discussions. Um, but the truth is, my mind, like most human beings and addicts especially, are wired, is wired to snap shut because it thinks it's protecting me. But if I'm not in my open mind, I'm in my closed mind. If I'm not in my God mind, I'm in my ego mind. And I'm always looking for a way to justify my either or thinking, my black or white thinking. And if, if any of you are like me, when I speak to even fellows who I respect and, and, and hear, listen to this meeting, sometimes my closed mind, my disease mind is looking for ways 
to say, yeah, but, um, or, you know, bristling and, and, and in judgment. And um, so what, for me, what I have to do to maintain an open mind, I have to stretch it every day. And um, it's kind of like a balloon, you know, that, you know, you ever try to blow a balloon up in it and, and it's so hard to get the breath in there because it's, for some reason, it's really, really shut. It's really used to being in that place. And um, it takes a lot of, a lot of effort sometimes to expand it to the next, next uh, level of consciousness, like my mind. So I, um, I have to adopt attitudes of curiosity and humility. I need both of those in order to, in order to maintain an open mind. So if I hear something that makes me bristle, maybe I can just ask a few questions of that person or to a, you know, or, or call up a fellow and say, this is what I heard. And it made me bristle. And, you know, so um, what, what's your take on it to ask questions? I find that curiosity allows my mind to be more malleable, be more willing to um, hear another point of view. And so curiosity is a really important attitude and humility. I, I'm really not willing to be curious unless I'm humble, unless I'm, you know, willing to ask those questions and humble myself and say, I don't know. There's a wonderful Hindu term that is neti neti, not this, not that. My mind wants either or because that's where my mind thinks I'm going to be safe. If I know the right answer, then maybe I can be safe. Maybe I can have some control. But the truth is, none of us know, <laughs> you know, right. none of us, there's no black or white thinking. So attitude of curiosity and humility uh, keeps me open. And I'm just so grateful for that. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, Chris G. Charles H. Thank you very much. I Charles H. a recovered composer over here. I I could get oversensitive just coming to work, living in New York City. Um, so many things, so many people, so many attitudes, so many, you know. And uh, you know, I was uh on the bus this morning and I seen this young lady and and her husband or her boo or something like that and two kids and one of the kids was sitting next to me with a bag of donuts, just stuffing them in their mouth and just kicking and screaming all over the place and. And I'm like, damn, in my mind, I'm character assassinating. Um, and I'm like, wow, you know, we 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 creating genocide in my community, in my community, to the next generation. And I can't help them. I, I can't help them because I can't go and say, you know, I can't go evangelize, like, you know, go tell this lady what you need to do. I don't know what you need to do. Maybe he's not addicted to donuts. Maybe he will become addicted to it, right? But just to the point of the text, is, you know, great, great people that, you know, recovered in this group here, they got football numbers. They ain't coming here and strike, strike gold right away. You know, I know a person that's been here 40 years, they got half of their time recovered. And it's a lot of hard work, and it's a lot of setting aside the oversensitivity and uh, the belligerence and, oh, they're not following my script. They're not saying what I want them to say. It's a lot. In my community, you know, when I come home to the hood, they'd be like, oh, man, Charles, you're such a good person. I'm like, no, I'm not. You do not understand how bad I am. Terrible. And I'm not beating myself up. I'm just being honest because, um, 
if I was so good, what the hell I'm doing in a in a twelve step program? And and, and oh, oh by the way, um, being in a twelve step program and not working the twelve steps is like going to the gym and just standing there and not working out. I mean, I need to work out spiritually every single day, and I need to set aside a lot of things. So when I look at that kid, he don't know. When I look at that 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 mother that gave the kid, or maybe the father, they don't know. And, and, and their process is their process. Can I be real with you? Even though I am who I am in my faith, I had to be such an atheist to get to God, such a, such a Pharisee, such a Sadducee to get to God. And it took me getting to the bottom, near bottom, like five and a, five and a half feet under. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Charles H. Donna G., Hi, this is Donna G. Uh, from Pennsylvania. Grateful um, to be on the line today and to be listening. Um, I shared this once before a long time ago, but I just felt led to share it again this morning. Um, when I decided that every other thing I had tried had failed and I was ready to give anything a try, anything, um, it was because I was afraid of dying and it, you know, and the reason I was afraid of dying was because I had um, been told I had a deadly disease, <laughs> um, caused by my overeating and couldn't get it under control for, 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 for nothing, for, for anything. So, um, I was as usual spouting off about my resentments about that fact. Um, spotted off my resentments about everything back in the day and um, spouting off to my sister I have seven siblings and probably it's not for me to to diagnose or take their inventory but quite a few of them the majority of us um, very overweight some much more overweight than I was um, and I immediately went to why not them why me why not them? Particularly one brother who is, is uh, not, was, in my opinion, not a very nice person, as if I was so much better. But, you know, why not him? He doesn't have any kids. So, like, this is so unfair. I have children. I have children whose father isn't in their lives. So this isn't fair. This whole thing isn't fair. And I was spouting off to a sister of mine who, about my resentment, um, and this sister happens to be in another 12-step program. And she said, you know what my sponsor would say? Do you know what my sponsor would tell you if you were saying this? And I said, no. What would your sponsor say? I'm curious. What would your sponsor say? And she said, the reason that you are the one who has this disease is because God blessed you. God chose to bless you with it. And I'm like, well, you tell your sponsor she's one sick person. And I really believed that, and I was so resentful over that. And I'm like, next time I see your sponsor, because I, I didn't know, I'm going to tell her she's sick. Um, you know, nine months later, I am so grateful, and anyone who's heard me on the line, when I say, gee, if somebody gets it wrong, it's for grateful. And I always introduce myself um, at all meetings um, as grateful, because I am. And I was blessed by my higher power. Um, with reasonableness that you know what this is not this is not going to fix itself this is not 
um, a way to live. There's a better way to live. Um, living in resentment and animosity and fear Fine. is no way to live. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Donna G. from Pennsylvania. Anita B. Thank you. Good morning. This is Anita B. from New Jersey, recovering compulsive reader just one day at a time. And I just wanted to share real quick how I'm so grateful that there's a book out there that puts my life into words and puts what I go through in a book. Uh, it just does so much for me. Um, it makes me not feel alone. You know, I, I was in the program a long time and uh, trying to do it my way. I, I am realizing what a controller I really am. I just, you know, I thought I was doing God's will if I could just control everything right, you know, because I thought I knew what was right. And it wasn't until, you know, I was beaten to unreasonableness that I said, okay, God, you know what? I haven't tried it this way. I'm just going to do it. That was about two something years ago um, where I just said, I got to try it this way. It's just not working what I'm doing for 20 years. You know, well, that's, that's kind of crazy, you know, that it took that long. Um, but it wasn't until then. It wasn't until I was willing to be open-minded to something besides what I was used to. So, you know, I'm just so glad I have words from this book and words from all of the shares from everyone in this program that I'm able to understand it, not feel alone, and be able to share and be able to also take what's shared. So uh, for that, I am so grateful uh, so that's all I have. Thanks a lot for being there. Thank you, Anita B. Yes. We have time for you. Jennifer W. Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you now. Jennifer, we only have about a minute and a half. Go okay, ahead. thank you. Thank you so much. I'm a, a compulsive eater calling in from Sweden. And I just wanted to say that I um, today I had um, I met this person who there I could see there was so much prejudice and obstinacy and I couldn't even say anything because what I noticed is that it becomes a defense mechanism within this person. Uh, so I have to just let go of the person, and it's so sad because I can see myself like I was uh, so long ago. And um, how you just don't want to take in. You just want to do it your way. And I just wanted to share that, that I'm uh, grateful that I have you here, that I can listen and really take in and uh, let go of this person and just say that she, well, she has her way and she has to maybe get down lower. Uh, but it's really sad, actually. So thanks. Uh, for this meeting, and thanks for everyone here. Oh, thank you, Jennifer W. from Sweden. Thank you for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Thursday, August 15, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 13,283. That's 13283. 
please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Becca R., please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Sure. This is Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Kentucky. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.